Charlotte. It's Shelby. It's Riley. And, and it's, it's time, time to smut up and listen. Just a reminder for today's episode and all future episodes, our opinions are subjective. We don't advocate for kink shaming or author shaming. This is all in good smutty fun. Enjoy. Today's episode trigger warnings are explicit sexual content and sexual assault. And spiders. And spiders. And today's book is Ensnared by Tiffany Roberts. And what did you give it on Goodreads, Shelby? I gave it a four. Okay. Yeah. A four. I'm going to say four and a half. Mm. I probably should have switched it to four and a half, but I kept it at a four because I need to read the second one so I could like level out the ratings, you know? I'm already on the third one. They're all really good. You guys got a thing for mandibles now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not scared of spiders anymore. I find them oddly attractive. Erotic. (laughs) Erotic. I'm just going to see one in your home and be like, hey. Hey, what are you you doing in my room? (laughs) You going to turn into like a man and fuck me? (laughs) The spiders. I'm not going to find spiders anymore. They're just going to be like, stay out of this girl's room. She'll try and fuck you. (laughs) My quote for you, Riley, is not bricks, not animal, not spirit. What was she? His. Ooh. His. And my quote is, one of his long, rough fingers slid along her sex, pressing between her folds to gather her slick. You make this nectar for me. Cute. <laughs> Cute. Sweet. So we're in our male main character's POV. His name is Katan. He is wandering through Moonfall Tunnel, wishing he was outside, but it's offering day, so he's not allowed to leave. We learn that offering day is when the Vricks of Takral gather in the Den of Spirits to make their offerings to the Eight, which is their gods. Everything is like in eights. Yes, and I love it for whatever reason. They call their weeks eight days, so it's not seven days, but it's eight days. Is it because they have eight legs? They don't have eight legs. They don't? No. Okay. Well, you'll see. Okay. I think it's mostly after their eight gods. He enters his friend Rakash's den, and it's pitch black, but he knows his way around, so he drops his spear in his bag, and when he goes to leave, he grabs a small but thick leaf-wrapped bundle, and then he continues down the tunnel. We learn the package contains a valuable root for the offering, and it can be used as medicine, but he hopes that it sends a different message to the queen. And I forgot to write down what root it is. I think it's called mender root. Yeah, I think so too. It's kind of like important. He meets his friends Rakash and Urkot, and his friends tease him for always being late to the offerings. But then their conversation turns super serious when Urkot tells him that he could have made his offering for him so he didn't have to be back there. But Katan says that she would have never allowed it. Rakash lets him know that she means to take a mate and he tenses because he knows that it's going to happen eventually. And Queen Zervashi has always wanted him, but he hasn't returned the favor since losing his mother and brood mates, which is just his siblings, Okay. after serving the war. The three males continue down the tunnel where there are hundreds of others waiting. Females outnumber males two to one, and you can tell them apart based on their lack of colored markings and their height. So the females are like significantly taller than the males, and the males have these bright colored markings on their back and on their bodies that tell them apart females don't have any coloring they just wear like jewelry and stuff like that to make up for it why are the females always like the less cool looking ones i mean they're like 15 feet tall though yeah they're fucking huge oh how did you picture these people when you were reading the book okay so i found fan art do you want me to send it in the group chat yes i want to see i want to be able to picture them and i can't Okay, so I sent Riley a picture of Katan in the group chat, and (laughs) she's going to talk about how it makes her feel. (laughs) This wasn't what I was fucking picturing. They're very spider. They are very spider. I didn't realize he was going to have that whole, like, caboose on him. (laughs) That's what I said. He's got big old dumb feet. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I could do it. I don't. Because oh, <laughs> when you're reading spooky. it, you're like, maybe he's just like a dude with dark skin and like a bunch of legs. But no, he no. is spider. I was picturing like a tall, like slender man with like multiple legs, but still more man looking. No, <laughs> no. That was I'd say not. he's like 80% spider, 20% man. Yeah. He's like, this dick is man. The lion shuffles slowly towards the den of spirits until he can barely see the carving of their first queen. He sees his brood sister for the first time in a very long time, and she is part of the queen's guard. So she's the one sibling that did not die in this war. She lets him know once he's done making his offering to slip out through a 
It's called the Deep Delve Tunnel because the queen is in a very foul mood today. They finish the walk to the Den of Spirits and it's a beautiful cavern with blue crystals glowing and catching sunlight. And it sounds very pretty. It does. So there's like just giant blue crystals everywhere reflecting sunlight. So there's crystal rainbow fragments all over the room as well. Yeah, that does sound really pretty. Amongst the crystal rainbows stands Queen Zervashi on the uppermost dates. He makes himself smaller along with the other males and they all slowly take their turns approaching her and handing over their offerings. Her eyes land on Catan and she turns and whispers something to her advisor and then her advisor goes up to him and tells him that the queen will accept his offering in person so he can step up to the platform. He does as he's told and she asks him to quit being foolish and join his guard and he politely declines again. It's been asked a bunch of times before. He says that he's only there to give his offering. He gives her the mender roots and tells her it's the same offering from seven years ago if she can still remember. Still fresh enough for his queen's die masters. She's visibly mad and we don't really like know why exactly. She's visibly mad but he's not done yet. He stabs himself in the palm and lets his blood mix with the purple juices of the root to make it a darker color and she snatches it away and squeezes them in a fist and throws it at his feet. She leans over him and he notices that she smells good and she tells him his little act of defiance proves that he is supposed to be her mate, but he tells her that she's not worthy of that title. Mm. Oh, okay, Katan. Yeah. He knows his worth. She shoves him away and tells him to enjoy the tangle because his time there is up soon. So the tangle is where he lives. He doesn't live in the underground dens in Moonfall Tunnel with all the other bricks. He lives out in the wilderness. I was like, is the tangle a web? It's like this <laughs> super dense jungle with all these like crazy monsters and it's crazy. Oh. He is back in the tangle and he can breathe a little bit easier now, but instead of going to his den, he continues to venture where he hears a Suda. It's like some type of creature thing. He hears a Suda call and he decides to go find it for his dinner tonight. And also he's considered one of the hunters, which a lot of the males are hunters for Takarol. They have to go out into the tangle and bring back excess amount of meat Mm -hmm. that gets tallied and then taken to the queen for her to distribute. But that's like one of the big things happening right now. She's not actually distributing it. <gasps> Is she evil? She's keeping it for herself. And then the actual citizens of Takarol are going hungry while the queen just eats as much as she wants. That fat bitch. She's a fat bitch. <laughs> he follows the call of the Suda over to a huge gaping black hole. Every time he's near this pit, he feels a lightning storm like energy presence. And he thinks that it has to do with all the legends of the pit. But he's like... I I need to eat tonight, so I'm going to continue hunting this. Just as he's about to throw his spear, a small pack of Zykals prowled toward the Suda, and they're on the same branch as his, so it makes it tremble. Zykals are described as these four-legged quill things that are half the size of Catan, which I'm like, that's fucking terrifying. There's like ginormous porcupines. Ew. Yeah, huge. Everything in this book is huge. Everything. Oh, everything. (laughs) (laughs) He turns his head back to the trunk to leave the Suda to its fate with the Zykals and then his branch snaps. He throws his spear, hits the trunk of another tree as he's falling. His silk rope catches it, but it also falls again and he disappears into the blackness. <gasps> Katan! He plunges into the darkness, hitting branches over and over until he can't tell one painful cut from the next. His silk rope snags again and he stops falling and he looks down to see that he's closer to the bottom than he thought and he'd rather go down than climb up just to fall some more. So he slowly starts going down. Okay. As his legs touch the ground he notices the energy down there is stronger than ever and he also notices an orange light so as he turns towards it he stops because it's a strange stone-like object it's overgrown with moss and slightly gold and it emits the strange orange light but as he steps closer to it the light goes out his eyes adjust to the new darkness and he sees just exactly how large it is and so he steps closer and closer until he brushes a hand against the stone face and he realizes it's not gold but maybe a substance like it and then the orange light comes back on and he backs away he studies it from a distance when he notices it's covered in markings in a strange language that he can't read and a gash in the side of it and then he's like why not explore it you know so he goes through the gash in the side and follows it down the hill until he notices a body of water he also notices that 
The body of the inside walls, ceiling, and floor are not the same material as the outside. He notices another recess in the cavern and goes through that, and it leads down to a dark pit of water and multiple entryway tunnels. So he, like, sees these weird cocoons that are, like, broken open with nothing inside them except for, like, mud and moss and stuff like that. Inside one of the broken cocoons, he sees skeletal remains of something that he's never seen before, and he can't place what animal or creature it should be, but it has a round skull with two gaping eye holes and straight flat teeth i have one of those i do too gross it's not gross <laughs> wait what is yeah. it it's a human skull oh you have a human skull uh-huh. in my meat sack i do uh- <laughs> <laughs> i was like wait how do you have that <laughs> we all I have think that's one illegal to just have one jokes on me <laughs> as he leaves the cavern to go back to the other tunnels he notices that there is a door still attached with a green light above it So he goes and stops in front of it and tries to open it, but it doesn't budge. He rests all four hands. He has four arms. Four. He rests four hands on it when he can't get it open. And then all of a sudden there's a hissing noise and the door just pops open. Inside the chamber hasn't been touched by the earth. It's clean, white, and there's a bright white light overhead. It's also described as the air being really crisp and clean. He sees more cocoons, some empty, some not. And as he looks at each one, he notices one in particular that intrigues him. It's a small figure with hair spun like gold and laying in waves. It has mounds on its chest and its eyes are closed. He accidentally pushes a button on the cocoon and watches as the creature's cocoon slowly opens with the language he doesn't understand. He's hit with an intoxicating feminine scent and he can't help but step closer. He knows it's female so he touches her hair and skin and feels her breath. Another of his hands rose and he cupped the underside of one of those mounds. It certainly had some weight, and it was even more yielding than her flesh elsewhere. He squeezed, testing its give. It had some measure of firmness. He'd never felt anything like it. Oh, he's just squeezing on her titty. Imagine, like, you're asleep, and then all of a sudden you're getting honked by a giant spider. (laughs) And he's just like, honk, honk. (laughs) He gathers her from the cocoon and names her eight since that's the door she came from, and then he leaves to find a way out. Finders keepers. Finders keepers. (laughs) It's mine now. As he's finding a way out, eight stirs in his arms, so he pauses, but he needs to keep moving because below him, the branches are shaking from a creature gaining on them. He tries to move along a branch to hide when eight stirs awake and screams. He says it's the loudest thing that he's ever heard, and he quickly covers her mouth. Yeah, imagine waking from a sweet, sweet slumber, Uh and this fucking thing is holding you. Giant spider. Yeah. I would rather die. That'd be scary as fuck. That would be terrifying. If a spider is like two centimeters big i'm like (laughs) burn the house (laughs) and one's just cradling you like a baby it's like (laughs) 10 feet tall (laughs) (laughs) nasty the creature quickly retreats from the sound of her scream and he resumes getting them back to the den and as he journeys back home she keeps whispering to herself but he can't understand her and he wondered what she was since she's the only species he knows to speak like his own so he's like what the fuck are are you? <laughs> they get to his den, which is high in the trees and made of silk, vines, and branches. And as he goes to climb, she starts whispering and shaking. And she's clearly scared of heights by what she's saying, but he can't understand her still. Once they're inside the den, he sets her down and she scrambles away from him. And the fear in her scent is overpowering. And then we switch our female character's POV. Her name is Ivy. The last thing she remembers is lying in the cryo chamber and them telling her there will be very vivid dreams. She was nervous, but also excited to be amongst the first colonists to leave Earth and go to Zolia, which is a different planet. But she was not prepared to wake up to whatever nightmare she's in right now. She looks at the spider monster and he's at least six and a half or seven feet tall, eight glowing violet eyes, humanoid torso with the rear end of a spider, two sets of arms, six legs, and each hand has three fingers and a thumb and they are all tipped in black claws. I hate that. (laughs) (laughs) Does he sound hot? No. (laughs) No. Its face might have been human-like, but it almost looks like a mask. It has fang-like protrusions on either side side and powerful mandibles between where the cheekbones and temples would be on a human and it also has long black hair with white streaks Mm. but despite being a monster she notices that it is kind of beautiful what (laughs) 
<laughs> I think it's the violet markings that she's like, oh, not beautiful, like hot, but beautiful, like ethereal. Quite the vision. Okay. Okay. She tries asking it questions, but when it speaks, she doesn't understand. And then it tries to come up to her, but she puts her arm out and tells it to stay. And he crouches down and places his hand against hers. And she just stares for a moment before she rips her hand away. So she's like, stay. And he comes up and he's just like, like Tarzan. <laughs> Tarzan and Jane. But fucked up. She realizes she needs some sort of communication with the spider. So she puts her hands to her chest and tells it that her name is Ivy. It repeats her full name and she's shocked. And then it repeats her colonist number from the cryo chamber. When he opened the door to the cryo chamber, it was like Ivy, colonist number eight. Even though he can't speak the language, he just repeated it back. He does the same thing and she learns that his name is Catan. As she sits in his den, she wonders how long she was in stasis for because the initial trip to Zolia was said to take 60 years. And she falls asleep thinking about how long she was asleep. (gasps) She wakes up in pain. She's hungry and thirsty and trying to get out of the cryostasis, which they did warn her about when they put her under. She feels tickling on her feet and she sees Catan holding her foot and examining it. And she takes her foot away and scoots back. They start to slowly communicate about hands, feet, number of fingers, toes. And they're both like learning each other's language, like words for each body part. Mm -hmm. Her stomach growls and she tells him that she needs to eat. And he repeats the words, grabs his bag and tells her to stay. Stay here. We switched to Catan's POV. After all the excitement of last night, he forgot that he actually didn't catch any food. So he needs to hunt meat to bring back the Takarol, but he also needs to feed Ivy. And he can't find any fresh meat, so he collects other items that she could eat. And as he heads back to the den, he hears a familiar noise, and it's the clack of stone against stone, which is the signal that all the hunters use for communicating out in the tangle. So there's another hunter nearby. He clacks his weapons together and moves towards the response and then he finally sees Telok which is another hunter and Telok tells him that he came to look for him to see if he was still alive after the offering and he tells Telok that he's fine and they talk about the queen about again how she keeps taking more meat each time the hunters come back and they're not able to feed their broodlings. Catan is pissed but he literally can't do anything right now so he's like I'll see you later like I gotta go back. When he gets back to the den and climbs to the top he He pauses because he doesn't see Ivy anywhere and then he feels something sharp press against his neck. His instincts take over and he pulls the weapon away and lunges towards his attacker, but he sees that it's Ivy, so he stops. Ivy, what are you doing? Protecting herself. I know, but he's being nice. She starts chanting I'm sorry over and over again and her scent takes over and he brushes his head against her neck. Behind his slit, his stem stirred, pulsing with the beat of his hearts. His claspers unfolded and reached forward, sliding over the rounded spots where Ivy's legs met her torso, ready to draw her against him and lock her in place, ready to mate. <gasps> Katan. <laughs> you don't even know her. Put your stinger away, your little stem. <laughs> <laughs> he stops when he hears his name and the word no, and then he sees water on her cheeks and wipes it away and he tastes it. That's terrifying. I know. Mmm, tears. He says that it's salty, but also sweet, and he wants more. So he runs his tongue up the whole side of her cheek. And all he can think about is mating her, but he forces himself away and grabs the bag to give her the food and water that he got her. He pulls out literally a handful of fucking grubs, and she says, gross, I'm not eating that. He's like, eat. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. And she's like, no, I will not. So he leaves again to go get her something else. (laughs) God, she's so picky. I know. He's like, I'm doing the best I can. <laughs> a single mom who works two jobs. <laughs> we switch to Ivy's POV. She thinks that she might die on this planet from starvation. She looks down and sees the plants that he brought back. And she's like, I could probably die from literally eating any one of these. So instead of a source of meat, he just brought a bunch of plants back for her. But she did receive injections to adapt to Zolia's environment. So she's not sure if that's where she is. But she's like, at least I know I'll be somewhat okay to eat some of this because of the injections. So she picks up an item, asks what it is, and as she eats, he tells her what the items are and they're actually pretty good. Like one of them was described as like a pomegranate. Okay. She falls asleep sometime later but wakes up from a bad dream of trying to go to her parents' house after moving out. They tell her she isn't wanted back now that everyone knows she's a whore and they slam the door in her face and then she wakes up. We learn a little bit more about that. She realizes now that she's awake, she has to use the restroom for the first time 
time. So it took her body like X amount of time for it to be like, you have to pee. But like immediately. So she tries to wake Katan up to let him know, but he tells her, no, she can't go outside. As she's literally about to piss herself, he's like, no. And she does. Yeah. She pees her little pants. Yeah, she pees her pants. He looks very frustrated as he gathers her up and rolls up the rug that she peed on. And then he goes outside and carries her until they reach a body of water. But he doesn't stop at the edge of the water. He continues into the stream and then dunks her under underneath <laughs> just waterboards her <laughs> yeah <laughs> you piss in my den you won't i bet you won't do it again he gets like a little rolled up newspaper and he's like bad <laughs> bad rubs her face in it you see this <laughs> she does describe it feeling like a puppy oh imagine how embarrassing that would be that would be awful <laughs> <laughs> when he lets her go she kicks back up to the surface and yells at him but he hears her chittering which she recognizes as laughing so she gets out and goes to the bank and she tells him next time she says that she has to go out he needs to listen but he doesn't respond so she turns around and he's staring at her body because <gasps> her white shirt and her little shorts are clinging to everything he gets out of the water and goes to her and he rubs her nipple and she tells him no and tries to cover herself but he uses his lower hands to hold her arms apart and peel her shirt up so he can grab her boob honk honk katan she said no the rasp of his palm over her hardened nipple elicited a jolt of pleasure that speared ivy straight to her core she clenched her thighs in shock katan dipped his head lower still as he shifted his hold on her breast to cup it from beneath he lifted it slightly and stared at her nipple he said something but the words were lost on her when he stroked the pad of his thumb across the top bud the ache in her core expanded <sighs> she was a little thing for spider-man <laughs> He switches to her other breast and she tries not to be turned on and she tries to tell him no again, but he tells her soft, soft. (laughs) And then he stills and sniffs at the air and lowers himself to see where the scent is coming from. And he stops in front of her shorts because now he can smell that she likes it. Oh. He pulls her shorts down to her ankles and he comments on her hair and she tells him the exam is over, but he doesn't listen. He brushed a thumb downward over the small patch of hair above her pussy several times like he was petting it until he touched the apex of her sex. Ivy's breath hitched. She squeezed her thighs together to deny him further access, but as she learned so many times already, Gatan was not so easily deterred. He's a persistent little spider. He forces her legs apart with his front legs, and as she tries to move away, she can't because she's trapped. And then we switch to his POV, and her scent is driving him crazy. His stem is thrumming behind his slit, and he doesn't understand how her scent went from, like, already strong to 100% stronger in just a few moments. His chest vibrated with another growl as he shifted his hand, placing a finger along either side of Ivy's slit. Her flesh there was hot, soft, silken, and he had the sense that it was damp, not merely because she'd just left the water. Unable to look away, he spread his fingers. Her slit opened like the petals of a blooming flower, revealing slick flesh that was even pinker than her lips. A blooming flower? (laughs) He is in her (laughs) pussy. She's hella soaked. She is hella soaked. He wants to know what it would feel like to claim her. Katan trailed a finger along her slit, gathering the glistening dew from those pink petals. Ivy gasped and her legs tensed, her toes curling down. More nectar gathered at her center and her scent strengthened. She is horned (laughs) up. Yep. And he knows it. She starts to fight wildly and it jolts him out of like his little haze that he's in. And he steps back and tries to tell her that he didn't mean to frighten her because her scent starts to change into fear. But she rips her clothes back on and snaps at him. He doesn't know what she's saying, but he knows that she's angry and he feels bad. But he wants her to understand that like they're equals. So he goes to her, grabs her wrists and puts them on his chest and tells her touch. I'd be like, no, no, thank you. I don't want to touch you. (laughs) (laughs) She's mad, but does as he says. And he thinks that it feels very nice to have her hands on him. She continues exploring until she comes to his slit, but he tells her to stop and says no. And she tries to call him a hypocrite, but he doesn't know what that means. So he walks away from her. What is in your slit? I want to know what's in there. Oh, you'll find out. You're going to (laughs) know. We switch to Ivy's POV. She wakes up from a storm outside and it reminds her of a tornado in Kansas she witnessed after living in her car once her boyfriend betrayed her 
her and her parents abandoned her. So this poor girl, she's been, she's seen some shit. Another thunder boomed above her and she cries out and Catan calls her name and she doesn't hesitate to go sleep next to him. So he holds her and tells her, Ivy, okay. And wraps a cloth Aww. like a blanket over her shoulders and combs her hair with his claws. Sweet little spider. He also lays like on his back with like his legs all curled inwards. Like oh, a dead God. Spider. <laughs> So she's in the middle of his all curled legs. <laughs> she just crawls on top of his big spider body. I'm scared. <laughs> As he's holding her, she can't help but think about when he touched her by the stream the other day and she starts to get hella soaked and shifts against him. Oh, Ivy. Ivy, Ivy, Ivy. She wants that little spider dick. <laughs> his clasper squeezed her closer still until her skin was flush with his and she felt the slip between those limbs against her sex and the hard thing pressing against it from underneath the hard thing that seemed to long for freedom <laughs> let me out let me out open the door <laughs> before i throw rocks through your window you dumb whore <laughs> she wants to see what would happen if she could coax the hard part out and get her hand around it or feel it inside her but he hisses at her and tells her to go to sleep so she falls asleep to him combing her hair and listening to like she describes them as purrs but they're like the weird vibrations that he does also she wants that thing in her hand she wants it in her puss puss it's one week after the thunderstorm so he tries to teach her like basket weaving getting water like where you're supposed to get safe water like all that kind of stuff and she's frustrated when she can't catch the fish like animals so she tries it her way and this girl literally crouches in the water with her hands barely above the surface and catches a fucking fish with her bare hands what the fuck yeah very bare grills <laughs> honestly good for her but it's very short-lived victory because the fish sprays water in her face and she loses her balance and drops it come on girl Catan just chitters loudly so she's like oh yeah really really and she just splashes and then they have like a cute little splash fight we switch to Catan's pov he's in a foul mood entering tackerall so he's been with ivy the last four eight days and has learned a lot but not enough about her yet but he's back in tackerall for another offering day so it happens every four eight days he hopes the day will end sooner than later and then he gets into an altercation with durex the queen's prime claw who seems very jealous that the queen is in interested in him after their altercation he goes to the den of spirits as he travels there he thinks on the last four eight days with ivy and teaching her everything she knows and he knows that she hasn't caught on or done anything useful with the information that he's given her so he can't help but to admire her determination and he puts thoughts of her to the side so he doesn't get too distracted by thinking about her because he's like i need to get in get out i have to go back Katan's hanging out with his spider buddies, Urkot, Tilak, and Rakosh, his little besties, little spider gang. Urkot tells him that he's challenging the queen by returning. He should have sent someone else in his place, but Katan says he's showing the queen that he's not afraid of her by still giving his offering in person. Rakosh tells him that Durax was in the tunnel outside of Moonfall because the queen suspects that meat is coming in without being passed through the scribes first. There's like a secret group of Vricks who are bringing meat directly to the civilians and not having the queen's scribes count it first for inventory. Katan realizes that his friends are taking part in this and he feels guilty for wanting no part of it. His only concern is Ivy. They decide the best course of action is to spread word throughout the colony for others to take part in this too because if more Vricks are complicit, the queen will have a hard time figuring out the source of the betrayal so it won't just fall on the three of them. Right. It'll be like everyone's involved so like what can you do? They all go to wait in line to present their offerings to the queen but there's a distinct sense of restlessness coming from all of the Vricks. They get to where the queen usually sits and she's not there. Katan's sister is nowhere to be found either and something is fishy. Hmm. As the gang is walking out of the Moonfall Tunnel, they see six fangs, so that's the Queen's Guard, and they're just standing. One of them is his sister who tries to speak to him but is interrupted by one of the others who says the Queen wishes to speak to him. They lead him to the den where he was raised by his mother, so like his childhood home, and the Queen is waiting for him in there. And it says that she's so big, she's the biggest one of the females, and she takes up like the entire space. But it is terrifying. She grabs him and tells him that he's the only male worthy of siring her offspring, and he tells her that he's not interested, and then she runs a hand along his slit. 
And all he can think of is Ivy. When he still denies her, she throws him across the room and tells him that when the flood season is here, she will mate him and show the whole colony that he desires her and mate with her. So she's like, you're going to fuck me in front of everyone so they all know that you want me. She is confident. She is. If my spider crush was telling me, (laughs) no, I don't want you, I'd be like, okay. (laughs) But she's like, no, you're going to fuck me with an audience. I am going to get that little stem of yours. (laughs) (laughs) She threatens his friends and his sister if he doesn't obey and then leaves. So she's like, if you don't fuck me, I'm going to kill everyone you love. Toxic. She is toxic. He's injured at this point from her throwing him across the room. And he knows that he needs to leave the den and get back to Ivy. We switch to Ivy's POV and she's weaving a basket, wondering when Catan is coming back. And she thinks back to her first boyfriend, Tanner. And this is where we get her backstory. She was 17 and he was 22 and her parents were livid when they found out that they were dating. They were super, super religious and she moved out and dropped out of school and then he waited until she turned 18 to have sex with her and she thought this was romantic. Like she's like, oh, he wants to wait until it's legal. He's not trying to like rush it. But on her birthday, he set up cameras and had sex with her roughly and coldly while live streaming it. (gasps) And she like begged him to stop the entire time. So he like raped her on live stream. Oh god he'd had her sign the apartment lease earlier that day too but it was actually a consent document to be recorded so he can't get in any legal trouble for it but she thought she was signing the apartment lease that is so fucked up yeah he's a dick so at this point her parents won't take her back because everyone saw the live stream of her getting fucked brutally. Yeah. so she's homeless and alone finally Catan comes back but she can tell something is wrong and she says his name while he whirls on her aggressively and immediately stops and holds her what is whirls on her like he just turns around and is like Uh and she's like "Ah." yeah and he's like oh my god i'm so sorry (laughs) she asks what's wrong and he says everything but this and she asks what she can do to help and he says be you (laughs) okay two days later ivy is bathing in the stream while katan sits on a rock above her rubbing oil on his hide so he's just like oiling up okay yeah you gotta sometimes stay moisturized the slick little spider (laughs) (laughs) she starts admiring him and realizes that she's actually really into him oh my god she sees him having trouble reaching a spot on his back and offers to help him and she climbs onto his back and starts oiling him up i am really into this spider He tells her that his shoulder was injured by the queen for refusing to meet with her and that's why he can't reach all the spots on his back. And then she gets kind of jealous of the queen for laying hands on Catan and trying to fuck him. It's my man. But he tells her that there's no Vricks he wants as a mate and her bare vagina rubs against his back because she was bathing while this was happening and now she's just in a towel. Nudy booty. Ah! So as her bare vagina rubs on him, she moans. And then she gets off of him and sits next to him and asks where he found her. And he tells her he found her in a pod at the bottom of a deep hole that he fell into. He has a really hard time explaining what she was in. Yeah, he's not sure what it's called. Because at this point, I feel like they can communicate pretty well, but there's still quite the language barrier. Mm-hmm. It's been like they a month. They did a really good job like figuring out how to communicate. Uh-huh. I know they can both kind of speak each other's languages a little bit at this point. Oh, that's cool. She asks him to take her there and to rescue the others that may still be alive in the cryo chambers, but he refuses, saying that it's too dangerous. And then she argues that she can't just forget about the others, and he says that he can't provide for all of the other potential survivors, so Ivy's like, well, I'll hunt for them. And Catan's like, you couldn't even last a day alone, let alone feed a group of people. Well, I mean, true. Yeah, he's not wrong, but it was a little, he said it a little spicy-like. Yeah. Ivy thrust a finger at him, jabbing it against his hard chest. You are such a, uh, an asshole. She spun and stalked away from him toward the trees. You say I'm what poop comes out of? He growled (laughs) from behind her. Yes, stinky, yucky poop. (laughs) A child. (laughs) Honestly. I am what poop comes out of. (laughs) How dare you? She tells him that she has to pee, but she doesn't actually have to pee. She just wants a moment alone to clear her head. And when she's alone, she gets the feeling that there's something behind her. Then she turns to see a creature who resembles a tiger crossed with a velociraptor and screams as it's getting ready to pounce on her. Absolutely terrifying. She screams and dives out of the way just in time, but feels hot searing pain on her calf. And then suddenly Catan leaps out and attacks the creature and they fight furiously 
furiously and intensely until Catan uses his mandibles to rip the beast's throat out. <gasps> oh my god. At this point, Ivy's towel has fallen on the ground because remember, she was just in a towel. She's a little nudie girl. Mm-hmm. So he stalks over to Ivy, who's huddled on the ground completely naked. He picks her up and examines her wounds and tells her that she can't pee alone anymore and brings her to the stream. And she can tell he's really torn up about what just happened and realizes that he really cares for her. And she begins to cry, apologizing for being a weak burden. He tells her it's his pride to provide for her and that she'll get better with everything he's teaching her with time. So he's like, I wasn't any good at any of this when I started, but I just kept trying and I got good and you'll get good too. He rinses the Velocitiger's blood off of him in the stream. That's what she calls it, the Velocitiger. A tiger. Okay. He grabs a scrap of silk cloth from his bag to clean Ivy's legs, and then he also uses his spinnerets to put his sticky silk into her wound, and he says that it makes it heal faster. So his his butt string, he's just like <laughs> disgusting. Stitching her wounds back together. She says that it hurts too. Mm-hmm. But that's how they heal their wounds they just shove their silk in it okay that's fair he tells her about how he used to be a weaver before the queen sent him off into battle and he had to learn how to survive just like she's doing it'll take time to learn but she will and then he wraps her leg with another piece of cloth and then he begins to clean the dirt and sweat off the rest of her body and as he's cleaning her neck and arms she notices it almost seems like he's exploring her body as he begins to wash her chest her breathing hitches and he asks if he hurt her and she says no it feels good too good. Uh. He's confused, so she has to explain breasts and nipples to him and why they sometimes get hard when they're aroused. And he asks what aroused means, and she says it's when they experience desire, like what he'd feel if someone touched his cock. Our skin is very sensitive, but more so on our breasts and our, she motioned between her legs, our pussies. <laughs> She notices a bulge behind his slit forming and he looks away and says they need to get out of the sun before she gets sunburnt. He brings her back to the den and says he'll collect the creature for meat. A week later, he's making her a spear to hunt with as he watches her fantasizing about what it would be like to meet with her. The difference between them seemed an ever-shrinking obstacle. He had seen her slit, which she called her pussy, had seen it open, and had seen it glisten with her dew. They would fit together. He knew it. He'd make it fit. He knew it. He shows her the new spear and tends to her leg. And he notices that her cuts are healing nicely. So they look they look good. Yeah. His silk is doing work. It really is. With a grip on both of her legs, he could so easily drag her closer, could pull her right against him, and then he could hold her like he did through the nights, could continue exploring her body, or he could slide his hands up those legs, spread them wider, and tear off the fabric covering her pelvis to gaze upon the petals of her slit. Her petals. I don't like that. I no. hate it. Suddenly they hear wood snapping outside and Onset, who is his sister, the one that's the queen's guard, is calling Catan's name. She's the only one who knows where his den is. He tells Ivy to remain silent and inside while he goes out to speak to his sister. She's so big that she can't really climb very well, so. Oh my god, she's just a big bitch. She's the second biggest behind the queen. Jesus Christ. She says she came to tell him that he needs to accept the queen as his mate, and Catan tells her that he won't, that he's chosen to live out in the tangle because she is not a good queen. She sent them to war for mender roots to make dye for her cloth, and many died for it. So that's why he sent the mender root as a message, because that's what all the people died for in the war. Okay. So she could get the mender root to make her clothes a nice color. Meanwhile, Ivy is up in the den, peeking through the cloth door covering and eavesdropping, and she's able to catch most of the conversation because of their language lessons. And when she sees Onset, she's taken aback by how much bigger she is than Catan, and can tell that she's somebody important by all the gold adornments she's wearing. Onset finally says she has to leave, and when Catan turns around, he sees Ivy peeking out from the den, and when he gets up to the den, he tells her that she didn't stay out of sight like he told her to. He says Onset didn't see her, but it wouldn't have been good if she did. Catan tells her that Onset is his sister, and Ivy asks about her wishes for him to mate with the queen. And Catan tells her that she doesn't need to worry, he'll find a way to get out of it. So he lets her know that the queen wants to mate with him because she believes that they would sire the strongest offspring, but Catan's like, I would never. You don't have to worry about it. I will not mate with her. Never, ever. Not even if there's a fire. (laughs) Ivy asks him if he's ever been happy, and he says that the happiest he's ever been is right now. And she says, me too. 
A few days later, Catan brings Ivy to this huge waterfall surrounded by bioluminescent plants. It sounds really cool. Ooh. Yeah. She tells him it's beautiful, and he says it is, but he's looking at her. Oh. Catan. Catan. They sit together, and she tells him about Earth and her family, and he asks if she's ever accepted a mate before, and she says yes, but he betrayed her. Catan tells her that the man wasn't worthy of her, and then they just start talking, and she explains marriage to him and explains what a wedding dress looks like. I would see you clad in silk. He dropped the leaf and cupped the underside of her jaw, angling her face toward his as he took her hips between two of his hands i will see you clad in my silk (gasps) so he's like you don't need a wedding dress you're gonna wear my silk i'll spin you a little dress ivy's into it she loves this oh sometime later katan is in his workshop at rakash's den so this is back in Takarol, and he's weaving ivy a wedding dress made of his silk just like he said he's a sweet boy he wants her to be his mate and has noticed her scent has become more and more intense as he's getting ready to leave and go back to the den rakash comes in and asks why he's here because he never just comes to Takarol unless there's an offering that he has to do right and then he's like why are you weaving you never weave so like this behavior is a little fishy katan katan tells him that he can't tell him about this as the prime fang walks in and tells rakash to leave and katan to stay the queen enters the den and tells him the high claiming is in four days she grabs the dress and rips it in half clips his chin with her claw and leaves she's just like what are you weaving rip bitch she's like do better i don't like this this won't fit me (laughs) i know he grabs the dress to assess the damages and thinks that it can be salvaged and then back at katan's den ivy is waiting up for him and realizes that she's ovulating so that's why her scent has become more intense Mm. the medical treatments before cryo sleep messed with her menstrual cycle and she was told it might be six months after waking before she got a period she also got a permanent hair removal that left her with no hair but a little landing strip which like that's pretty cool yeah that's nice That's convenient. She undresses and decides to wipe herself down with a damp cloth. And then she decides to sleep nude and wraps herself in a blanket when she feels the nest rocking back and forth. And it's Catan climbing up. He's about to give her the dress when her scent overpowers him. And he grazes her with his leg and she has to clench her thighs. Always gotta clench the thighs. Always. Always. He presents the dress to her and she says it's beautiful and tries it on and it fits perfectly. So he was able to fix it after the queen ripped it. Little crafty boy. He inhales her scent and runs his hand under the dress and up her thigh. His other set of hands begin to cup her breasts and then he lifts the dress and bears her to the open air. Four set of hands is too much stimulation. That's scary. Yeah. He moved even closer to her until his chest was against her back. Something thick, hard, and slick pressed along her ass and probed her thighs. Ivy instinctively arched against it, needing more. She tilted her hips and moaned as it glided between her thighs and along her slick folds. His claspers crept around her waist, encircling it fully, and bent down to brush across the patch of hair on her pelvis. The tip of one grazed her clit. The delicious sensation it wrought was nearly strong enough to make her knees give out. They're gonna do it. She tells herself that this is wrong, but it feels so good. Chest heaving, skin flushed, and sex pulsing in arousal with her essence dripping down her inner thighs. Ivy turned to face Catan. Catan, what are you? Her eyes widened. His cock glistened in the crystal's blue glow. It protruded from his slit, long and thick, with two bulges on either side of its base. The shaft widened as it curved up toward the tapered tip, where there was a two-inch slit. Its skin was the same purple as his markings. Nothing about it was human, and yet it aroused Ivy all the same. Her core pulsed. She released a shuddering breath and rubbed her thighs together, which were coated in her slick. That was what she had felt against her ass. That. That was what her body craved. What Ivy craved. I want to see a picture of it. (laughs) Okay, let me try and find one. (sighs) Yeah. All right, we found a picture of his ding dong and Riley's going to tell us about it. (laughs) (laughs) It is purple and beefy and kind of pointy. It looks kind of human-y. Yeah, that's not too bad. I just want to know what he's doing with all his silk or is that cum? Yeah, what the? Because it's everywhere. (laughs) I know. Uh, Oh, man. They say that they produce 
lubricant as well the males oh, do yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, so i think that might be his lubricant or maybe it does look like he's coming so it might be a combination of the two they produce their own lubricant is that more uh-huh. so so it can like come out of its slit no it said that like the female vrix doesn't produce any lubrication at all it's up to like the males to actually produce it for them to mate okay because the males have to like fight the females to mate the females will try and like fight them off and they'll only meet with people who can like take it god damn that was a fucking spider wiener katana undresses her fully and when she goes to cover her breasts with her arms he grabs them and uses his spinnerets to bind them above her head and attaches the silk to the ceiling of the nest he uses more of the silk to tie her up in a shibari like fashion and tells her he's conquered her and now he will claim her oh my god so it's like BDSM. Yeah, it but is. With silk. He turns her around and weaves more silk to anchor to her back and fastens her to the ceiling again so she's hanging. She's afraid and begging him to let her go, but he promises not to hurt her and explains that this is the claiming. He strokes her breasts and she moans. Lifting his lower hands to her ass, Katan squeezed her yielding flesh and angled her slit toward him. Her heady fragrance struck him anew, and he breathed it in greedily, fixing his gaze upon the open pink petals of her sex. They glistened with nectar, and more of it was evident upon her inner thighs. Her scent beckoned him, demanding he taste her. He opened his mouth, extended his tongue, and dragged it along her slit. He lapped at her thighs, grazing her skin with his mandible fangs, and licking away all her nectar, unwilling to let any go to waste. Then he returned to her slit. He pressed his tongue between her folds and swept it upward, sampling every bit of that slick, pink flesh, seeking every drop of her sweet essence. When his tongue flicked over the little nub at the apex of her slit, Ivy gasped and bucked, her thighs quivering on either side of his head. Oh my god! Get it. So he's touched this place before, but this time she's not saying no. Like she was when they were at the stream and he was like exploring her body. So he's like, hmm. (laughs) (laughs) What's this? He lowered his mandibles, pressing them to the undersides of her thighs and ravished her slit with his tongue. He stroked that nub. He stroked that nub. (laughs) He delved between her petals. He pressed the tip of his tongue inside her and growled at the tight heat of her channel. Channel. (laughs) Clutching her ass, he returned his tongue to that nub and circled it, flicked it, laved it with attention as he stared up at her face. Her brow creased, her lips parted, and her chest heaved with her panting breaths until suddenly her body tensed. She threw her head back and cried out, rocking her hips against his tongue as fresh nectar flowed from her channel. Gatan lifted her higher and positioned her over his face, drinking her essence as he continued to worship that nub with his tongue. That nub. The nub. (laughs) Worship it. He continues licking her and she comes again, and then Gatan's stem is painful behind his slit. So it hasn't come out yet. No, he's holding it in place with his claspers. Okay. Self-control. We love to see it. He spins her around and places his stem against her entrance. And as he enters her, he doesn't feel any of the resistance that comes with mating a female Vrix who will typically battle viciously with the males. He slides easily into her and she feels so good that he can't hold back anymore and the frenzy takes over. She felt the rasp of his hide against her skin, his claspers anchoring her hips, his hands gripping her ass, and their claws pricking her flesh, all of it adding to the whirlwind of sensations swirling through her. Most of all, she felt his cock plunging in and out of her. It was pain and pleasure, a torment that scattered her thoughts into a million fragments, and an ecstasy that fused them all together, again as some new and powerful oh (laughs) ivy comes again hard she comes hard yeah she does i bet she does her sex squeezed clamping around katan's cock and quivering as liquid heat flooded her katan hissed and quickened his pace his claspers clutched her hips their tips digging into her skin his hide slapped against her flesh and ivy's slick ran down her thighs his front legs rose, darting past her on either side to slam against the wall, granting him only more leverage and making his thrust all the deeper. Unbelievably, another orgasm swiftly followed. Ivy's muscles strained against her bindings, and she clenched her teeth as powerful tremors rocked her. His cock swelled, stretching her even more, and his already hard body tensed. Katan roared her name and pounded into her, his claspers clamping her in place. 
his shaft pulsed, somehow expanding further, and his hot seed exploded within her, but it was accompanied by a firm, fluttery sensation at the head of his cock. Something swept insistently against her cervix, stroking her inner walls. He touched his forehead to hers, shuddered, and growled. Another spurt of seed flooded her. What is happening? So it doesn't say in this book, but I'll just tell you because it's not really a spoiler. But we do find out in the second book Mm -hmm. that he has these like moth-like protrusions that come out after he comes the first time and it like sweeps her cervix up. What the fuck? And then he comes again. Yeah. So it must be like massaging her cervix almost to like let more sperm go in there or something. Uh That is insane. (laughs) When she comes down from her orgasm, Catan is holding her and he tells her that she is his now, his mate, his heart's thread. Ivy wakes up the next morning and Catan is gone and she can't believe she had sex with an alien spider. Honestly. I can't believe it either. (laughs) (laughs) She looks down to see that she's lying on a bed spun of spider silk and she examines her body and sees red marks from the restraint. As she moved, something seeped from her pussy. Keeping her breathing even and calm, Ivy slid a hand between her thighs and delicately touched her sex, feeling her tender flesh. There was something there, something thick and wet, that also coated her inner thighs. Catan's seed. It was the final piece of evidence that made those memories a reality. Oh god, she had sex with a spider alien, and she liked it. No, she'd loved it. (laughs) (laughs) I know she did. I know she did. Every touch, every caress, every stroke of his cock inside her had felt right. Her body hadn't cared that he was an inhuman creature, hadn't cared that he had four arms, six legs, and eight eyes. It had simply craved the feel of his skin against hers, of his hands all over her body, of his cock buried deep in her pussy. (laughs) Yeah. She loves it. She does. She gets up and washes herself and pulls her dress back on and then Catan comes back in and grabs her to hold her to him and licks her neck and she's hella soaked. Yes, she is. That's her fucking spider. Her spider man. She does call him spider man in like a teasing way and he gets mad. (laughs) I'm not a spider. (laughs) You are though, sir. He pulls some fruit from his bag and tells her to eat and she asks what happened last night with the tying her up and stuff. And he says that they're mates now. He says that if he has to tie her up and claim her again to make her understand, he will. And says that he can smell her arousal. One of his long, rough fingers slid along her sex, pressing between her folds to gather her slick. You make this nectar for me. (laughs) Yes, she does. Yes, she does. She grinds against his finger and says, yes. He lifted her off the floor, spread her legs, and guided her thighs around his sides. His hands seemed to be everywhere for an instant, but she was most aware of them on her hips as he slammed her down onto his hard, slick cock. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they're back at it. He said he was going to remind her. That's true. Yeah. Catan fucks her hard and fast before rearing back so she's on top of him, and he tells her to look at him as he pumps into her and tells her she belongs to him and only to him. He tells her to say it, and she does. She screams, yes, Catan, I'm yours. Oh, God, I'm yours, as she comes. She felt Catan's shaft swell just before he let out a bestial roar that shook Ivy and the whole nest around her. His seed erupted with heat to match her own. The force of it complemented by the strange sensations of something unfurling at his tip and his cock vibrating. Before she'd even begun to descend from the first, he blasted her to a second peak. Blasted her. Blasted her. She ground her sex against his pelvis and tightened her legs around him, seeking to take him deeper, to lock him inside. His hand squeezed her ass, helping Ivy achieve her goal by pressing her firmly down on him. Catan buried his face against her neck. His breasts were hot and heavy against her skin, but it was his tongue that caught her attention and sent a thrill through her as he lapped the sweat from her flesh. My heart's thread, he rumbled, the fluttering at the tip of his cock intensifying briefly. He grunted, shivered, and another gush of seed filled her. So sweet. His heart's thread. So sweet. He holds her and caresses her and tells her that they were fated to be together. Five days later, Catan skipped the high claiming. So remember, the queen was like, the high claiming's in four days and you better be there. And he's like, I won't. Not interested. While he and Ivy are at the waterfall, he decides to tell Ivy that he's willing to take her back to the ship like she'd asked him to. He thinks she's strong enough to handle it. 
Before he can tell her, she gives him a flower crown and says that she'd like to try something. She says she wants to kiss him and explains that it's like mating with your mouth. And she starts making out with him and his stem bursts free. Oh my god. (laughs) With a hard thrust, he buried his stem in her slick, welcoming heat pulling her down until she could take no more of him. Ivy gasped against his mouth, winding her arms around his neck and bracing her feet on his hind quarters. Squeezing her ass with his lower hands, he worked her upon his length, chasing the strengthening waves of pleasure sparked by her hungry channel. Always with the channel. Uh, I know. That's not my favorite. This is a channel-heavy episode. It is a very (laughs) channel-heavy episode. She tells him to kiss her back and their tongues touch. He loves it and knows that nothing will come between him and Ivy. Ivy feels the same way and realizes she doesn't want to leave this planet and return to her past life. After they're finished making love, he brings her to the pit, so that's where her ship was. Catan secures Ivy to him with ropes and begins the descent, and when they get to the bottom, she's faced with the wreckage of the ship. He shows her to the stasis room and she sees a dead person in the first cryo chamber and it's apparent that they woke up and they were trapped inside and died struggling to get out. Oh, that's terrifying. That is terrifying. I couldn't even imagine. No. He walks her to the exact room that he found her in and it's the only part so far that remains undamaged. The first chamber she looks in has a woman in it and she's alive. In total, she counts three men and four women still alive in their cryo chambers and 12 dead. She goes to the control display and starts pressing stuff and a voice says that there's two years, 36 days, and two hours until total system failure and that their current location is unknown. So nobody knows where they are. No one's gonna rescue them. Nope. She looks at the date on the control panel and sees that 168 years have passed since they launched. So everyone she knows is dead. She was only supposed to be asleep for 60 years. Holy shit. Ivy wants to wake the survivors up, but Catan says no. He can't take care of that many people. And as they're debating, there's a scraping sound coming from the corridor. So someone else is there. Someone followed them. Who? Catan tells Ivy to hide, and she runs to the nearest cryo chamber and crouches down. He tells the intruder to show themselves, and it's Durax, the queen's main dude. And he tells Catan that the queen demands his immediate return. Catan refuses, and Durax tells him he'll deliver him as a chunk of meat then and throw his ugly little creature right to the queen. Catan tells Durax that he will do no such thing to his mate and Durax scoffs and makes fun of Catan for mating with a soft, pale, pathetic thing. But then thinks for a second before saying maybe he'll sample her to see what Catan likes so much about her. No, you won't. Catan loses his shit and charges Durax. Catan gets a ton of hits on him and Durax finally lands a blow to Catan's cheek with an axe. Catan clamps down on Durax's arm with his mandibles, crushing it before ripping it clean off. Yeah. As Durax is running to escape, Catan throws his spear directly into Durax's back, and Durax begs for his life, but Catan finds a pool of murky water and shoves his head down into it, drowning him. Yeah! He's dead! Yeah! Not my mate! Ivy appears, asking if Catan is hurt, and Catan realizes what he's done. He's killed the Queen's Claw and asks himself what he's brought upon them. The end. No! Yeah, that's the end. Oh my god, what a cliffhanger. Cliffhanger. I know. I immediately started the second one. I uh, yeah. And I I'm already almost done with the last one. It's a trilogy, so there's three. How do you feel about the other two books? They're really good. Are they? Uh-huh. It's a really good series. I thought we were gonna read this as a joke and be like, <laughs> spiders, but I no, was like good. Yeah, I really liked this. Oh Charlotte's got a newfound love for spiders. I do. I'm gonna fuck them all. <laughs> so riley how many red pepper emojis would you give this one give it four okay yeah and do you think that katana is hot i'm somewhere in the middle i know right it's hard because in your head you're like yeah but then i saw those photos yeah yeah i saw those photos and man he is real spidery. <laughs> he is a spider. Yeah. He's got a fucking spider caboose. <laughs> he does. That really threw me off. <laughs> Wasn't so picturing big. that. It's huge. <laughs> and the fact that he sleeps with his legs all curled in. No. I don't know. And like silk comes out of his butt. Ugh. And he has his little <laughs> penis and just like a little slit in his body. Crazy. Uh-huh. Crazy. Would you trade places with Ivy? No. That sounds so scary. So spooky scary. It does. Would you guys? No. No, I don't think so. But I love to hear about it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just don't want to be a part of it. 
I'll live vicariously through Ivy, but I don't want to do it myself. That's fair. No. no. 100% I really fair. don't like spiders. No. I would read this and get like the creepy crawlies in bed. Like there's, there might be a spider crawling on me right now. I don't like thinking about spiders when I'm in bed and I read in bed and it was just like a scary combination for me. <laughs> yeah, that would be absolutely terrifying. So next week, we're going to be telling Riley all about Satan's Affair by H.D. Carlton. And this is a prequel to Haunting Adeline from Sibby's point of view. And I love Sibby. Shelby loves Sibby. So we're going to have Riley look at the cover and give us her best guess on what this one might be about. So I already know that Sibby is kind of like a little wacko and kind of <laughs> follows, what is it, the carnival? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. And so we have like a little carnival tent on the front with a saucy little girl that says, real monsters don't wear masks. <laughs> I think Sibby's just going to be doing some fucked up shit in this book. Okay. Good guess. Good guess. Yeah. That's fair. But where it's smutty, right? Yeah. Oh. In a very different way than what we're yeah. used to. <laughs> okay. I can't wait. Well, if you liked this episode, make sure you rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Smut Up and Listen Podcast and on TikTok at Smut Up and Listen. Tell your friends, but not your mom. And we'll see you later, you horny little rats. Bye.